Good to see you all this morning. Welcome again to Friends. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to take them and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we will be today as we uh, continue in this series called Reset. And before we get started, uh, on February 6th and 7th, we're going to be having a Refresh Your Marriage conference. And we would love for, uh, excuse me, February 7th and 8th, um, don't want you to come on the 6th, nobody will be here, but February 7th and 8th, we're going to have a Refresh Your Marriage. Dr. Jim Burns, Doug Fields, uh, used to be a teaching pastor at Saddleback's going to be here, and it's going to be a Friday night, Saturday. We want to invite you to that. You can go on our website to check out more about that, and then Doug's going to speak at all of our weekend services uh, that weekend as well. So it's going to be a great, great weekend, February 7th and February 8th. You can see where you can go on our website and you can sign up to be a part of that. We invite you to do that. Uh, and then next week, we begin a new series. We end our series this week, and we start a new series um, just really called I Can Relate. And we're going to be talking about relationships and how we become all God wants us to be within our relationships. And we take a step towards him as we honor him in our work relationships and our family relationships and our marriage and all of that. And so next week, love for you to join us for that as we start. But we are winding up our series called Reset. And we have taken the last couple of weeks to get our, uh, hopefully, our minds and our lives reset with God and where we're headed. And reset is this. It's just to set or adjust or fix in a new or different way. To set, adjust, or fix in a new or different way. And if you were here the first week, we talked about what it meant to reset our time with God. And we felt that if we set your life and redeem your time by recentering your life on God and his word, that if you would start with God that God would not only multiply time, but he would use that time for his honor and his glory in your life. And so that's where we started the first week. Last week, if you are here, Chris talked a little bit of, out of Colossians 3. And he just said, whatever you do, whether in word or whether in deed, do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Paul was just reminding all of us that Jesus just doesn't want a portion of us. He actually wants all of us. And he said, in everything that we do, he wants all of us to honor him, which kind of flows right into our topic today of what we want to talk about as we kind of reset our lives around God and what he wants to do with our treasure or our money. And as we come to this place, um, I think this is one of the greatest subjects that I get to talk about. And I want to help you kind of reset your life. And one of the things that I know that every one of us has is this insatiable desire for more. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it is for me, that this insatiable desire for more comes up when you have something that I want or you have something that I don't have, and I see that you have it, and then I want it. Anybody else like that? Don't raise your hands. I know all of you are like that. You want what you don't have, and when somebody else has it, you kind of want it. And I was thinking about that. I was at my friend's house on a Monday night. And I was watching the national championship game, which I really didn't care about because my team wasn't in it for the first time ever. And so it really didn't matter. But I went and I watched the, the, the national championship. And, and my friend's got a, a bigger TV than I do. And so I took a picture of it because it was awesome. It was like 80 inches. So I took a picture and I sent a text to my wife. And here's what I said. I said, Maddie, look at his TV. She wrote me back. Why? And I wrote back and said, just because. I said, it's bigger than ours, and his room is smaller than ours. And here's what she said. Oh. That was it. Just, oh. What she said was, you just got a 55-inch TV last year. That's what she was saying in the O. Oh. You don't need any more. And I was like, check it out, though. It's awesome. And I went, I got to have it. You know why? Because mine looks small right now. 
And I went home last night and she was away all week and I finally got to see her and we started watching TV. And then I said, look at my friend's TV. Even after I preached this sermon. And she just looked at me and shook her head. Like, seriously, you know what I mean, men. You have something that I don't. And once I see it, then I'm like, I gotta have it. And there is this insatiable desire in our hearts, in our lives. It's, why, it's how we're wired for more. Uh, traveled to India many times. And I'm always fascinated by the monkeys in India. And every time I go, I'm a little curious about them. And in certain parts of the country, they seem to be everywhere. I remember going into a hotel um, and I went up on the fifth floor and I came into my room and the windows were open and I looked out in the tree and there was at least seven monkeys just hanging out in the tree right outside my window. And so I just went and I closed that window really fast because one thing you need to know, monkeys are aggressive. And so I was making sure they're not coming in to see me. So they're aggressive. But the second thing is they are selfish to the very core. And as hunters tried to figure out how they wanted to capture monkeys, they began to devise a plan and a way to do this. What they knew that they wanted to capture them is they had to play into their nature and they had to play into who they were. So these hunters cut a small hole in one end of a coconut. And as they drained the co coconut, the hole was just big enough for the, for the fist of that monkey to get in. And what they would do is they put treats in there. They put peanuts or banana chunks or some enticing treasure that they knew that monkey wanted. And on the other end of that coconut, they tied a rope. And it was a long rope. And so they would put this coconut in the path of where the monkey would be. As they placed the coconut where the, where the monkey would be, they took that rope and they just walked down and they just waited. And the hunter's job was really over. Because here's what they knew. Once that monkey put his hand into the coconut and gra grabbed the little treasure, that it was never letting go. And when it grabbed a hold of that, the hunter knew just to yank on the cord, and that monkey would be right at its feet. And you say, well, seriously, there's something missing in this story. Oh, why wouldn't the little monkey just pull his hand out of the coconut and he could run for his life? And that makes sense. But he couldn't pull his hand out with the new treasure that he had. And he didn't understand that all he had to do to be free was to let go. And he could still fit his hand out. But with the treasure, he couldn't get it all out. And they're so selfish by nature that they choose to hang on for dear life. And that monkey won't let go of the little treasure, even though it's going to cost him his life and they would be captured. Jesus was hanging out in Luke chapter 12. And the verse, verse tells us that he comes upon this multitude of people. So you need to understand the picture. There's thousands of people that are gathered around. It even tells us that they were trampling over each other. So it's like you're going to the Rose Bowl for a huge concert and there's over 100,000 people and people just can't wait to get in. And maybe you've been a part of that or maybe you've seen it, but they start to trample over each other. And so they're gathered. And Jesus begins to talk about God and the Heavenly Father and how awesome he is. And that if you are not ashamed of God in the presence of people, that God will not be ashamed of you, that you are to proclaim the goodness and the hope of who God is. And as he is just teaching passionately, this dude raises his hand in the crowd, and it starts in verse 13. And it's sort of like us just being in church, and nobody do this, please, but one of you would raise a, your hand, and you wanted a question. Maybe you wouldn't even raise your hand. You would just blurt out. And it tells us, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, think about that. He just talked about God's goodness and his grace and, and how you need to follow God. And he raises a hand. He says, hey, I, I got something. You need to tell my brother to give me what is mine. It was probably the younger brother. Inheritance in those days, two-thirds went to the older brother, one-third went to the younger brother. And he says, give me what mine is due. 
Don't listen to both sides. You don't even need to hear the story, Jesus. You just need to listen to me. Give me mine. And the selfishness and the greed of his heart begins to be on display. This was, in Jesus' words, one of those things that I think began to change his story and began to change what he was probably going to be sharing with the people that were around him. He was sharing of the goodness of God, and all this guy could see was himself. And for us, it's a picture of what we do many times. Hey, wait a minute. Well, what about me? And many times we fight and we fight for what we think is ours by right. And in the end, we might have it, but we might be worse off. And so Jesus responds to him. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus replied, I love this. Hey, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I think if it was me, I'd have been a little bit irritated. Are you kidding me? What are you, 12 years old? Seriously, come on, man. Who, who appointed me? I'm not the judge. I'm not the arbiter. This is not my position. Do you see what's going on here? And then he said to him, watch out, man. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I love the way that the New Living Testament says it. Then he said, beware. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So I don't know what you do. What do you do when you see beware signs? Do you beware or do you just go right on ahead? There's lots of them that we see. I have a few of them up on the screen. Some of them might make sense to you. Some of them you might not have ever seen. Look at this one. I have no idea where that is, but we're supposed to beware of big animals, I guess, wherever they are. This one you might have seen. Security notice, beware of the dog. It's pretty important. Next one. This is me. Beware of aggressive drivers. I've told you many times. If you're slowing in the left lane, please get out. <laughs> Beware, aggressive drivers. Beware of falling coconuts. I guess that's in India. I'm not sure, but it's not here. The next one. Beware of drunken people. That's a great reminder. What's the next one? Beware of alligators. Do not feed. Do they really need to tell us that? I guess so. Somebody, I guess, fed an alligator and it didn't end up well. What about this one? Never mind the dog. Beware of the owner. That's a good one. And I think this was Jesus' sign to this man and to us today. Beware of. Well, just beware. And he comes and he says, look out. Watch out. Guard against every kind of greed. Because you need to understand something. Your life is not measured by how much you own. But many times, we're measured by what owns us. We are measured by what owns us. And Jesus comes in this text and he says, I just want you to guard against every kind of greed. And I think there is a root issue that many of us need to maybe look at and reset in our lives. And we would never call ourselves greedy. But that word greed just is an insatiable desire for more. And then life becomes about accumulation and we have no room for anything else. And so we continue to accumulate and to grab and we become greedy little by little. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have storage units? One of the reasons you do is because you have an abundance of things. And possessions have just become important. You can't let go of them. And so we store them. Guard against every kind of greed. And it just doesn't come with possessions. It comes in power, popularity, knowledge, health, whatever it might be. And Jesus comes and he says, hey man, listen up. Your life's not measured by all the stuff that you're trying to accumulate. Because that stuff isn't going to matter one day. 
So let me just ask you, even if you don't like to use the word greed, put another word in for you, but how do you measure greed in your life? I just told you mine. It's comparison. When I see what you have and I don't have it, I want it. And I'm going to figure out many times how I can get it. I remember I was just Friday, I was driving out of a parking lot and this guy got a, I guess it was brand new Porsche because he had three of his buddies that were looking at his wheels and these brand, I mean, these rims were awesome. I'm not even a car guy. And they're looking out and you just saw it when I drove right by them, their face, man, it was like they were so excited. They must've been car people. And I said to myself as I drove by, I said, one of those dudes is gonna have those rims next week. Because he looked and he saw him on his buddy's car and he goes, I love those rims. I gotta have them. And there is this insatiable desire for more. And the world says, hey, your life is what you accumulate. It's your appearance, it's your education, it's your jobs, it's your car, it's your neighborhood, it's your vacation. Just fill it up. That's what's gonna bring you purpose and that's what's gonna bring you joy. You know who understands the comparison game better than anybody? Credit card companies. Because they lure you in to buy things that you don't need, but that you want. The average American, take away your house, take away mortgage, the American, average American is in debt, in personal debt, $38,000. The average salary in America is $48,000. So let's just say California. California, I want to get it right. Our average salary is $63,000. So if you are $38,000 in debt, let me just tell you something you already know. You're in trouble. And it is going to be really hard on $63,000 to get out. And God comes and he says, listen, everybody, beware. When you follow the way of the world, you're going to get ensnared and entangled and you're going to get in trouble. Life doesn't consist of what you own. And he goes on in verse 16, and he says, let me just tell you a little parable. And I love Jesus because he breaks it down in simplicity and the way they could understand. He said, the ground of a certain rich man, it yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I love it. The guy's blessed. His ground is fertile. He's got fine crops. He doesn't have any place to put them. He's already rich. And so Jesus doesn't say money's bad. He doesn't even say being rich is bad. He said there's just a certain rich man. He yielded a lot and he was blessed. And he asks this question, and I'm gonna ask it of you in a little bit. What should I do? I think it's a good question. I think he was asking the right thing. I don't know about you, but when, when I was young, I could look and I saw people that were rich and I kind of had a little bit of an envy because it looked like they were free. And it looked like they had everything they want and they didn't need anything. Yet as I've gotten older, I found out that many people that are rich aren't free at all. They actually live in anxiety and loneliness and depression, yet they have so much around them, but they are missing the very one thing that they're looking for and it is an abundant life. You guys know, you don't have to look very far for that. And it's not a bad question, but it really is a bad answer. Verse 18. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I'm going to store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
Seven or eight times he says, I, I'll, mine, my, myself. Everything was centered on him. See, he was the provider and he was the consumer of everything he had. He was the author and the creator. And so he said, what should I do? Great question. Guess who he asked? Himself. You know why? Because he wanted the answer that he would give him. Because we always like the answer we give ourselves. That's why we don't invite people into other things when we don't want the answer to be different than what we already know the answer we want it to be. Right? What shall I do? I'm not going to consult anyone. I'm not going to ask anyone. I'm going to go build bigger barns. Because if I ask someone, they might tell me something different. They might give me some wisdom, and I don't want to hear that many times. And he says, what shall I do? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to accumulate, and I'm going to hoard, and I'm going to store. And there is this picture of self-reliance that everything I have and everything I am and everything that I have made is mine. And that's just a life of greed. And it's a life of greed that says all from me and all for me. And so who is in danger of this? Every one of us is in danger Rich or poor. I have seen many people who have nothing and have lived with contentment and joy that is so overwhelming to me. And as I watch them, I just look at them and I'm like, their contentment isn't found in anything they have. It's found in a person by the name of Jesus Christ. And then I look with people who have everything and they're in the prison of greed and consumption and loneliness. And so God continues on and here's what he says to the guy that built his barns. Verse 20, he says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Jesus goes, you're a fool. Not because you're rich. I'm so grateful for that because you need to steward that well. You're a fool because you are not rich towards your heavenly father. You're a fool because you are living for today and not for eternity. And everyone on the earth is looking at this guy going, look at him, man, he is the man. He's got it going on. He's got success. And God looked on him and he said, guess what? You're a fool. And that very night his soul was taken from him and everything he had worked for was gone and he wasn't going to get it anyway. See, he thought what he owned was his. But what he owned, owned all of him. And it cost him everything. I think that's why Paul, when he was writing to his protege, Timothy, he was writing to him and he said, listen, I, this is something really important. I don't want you to suggest it. It's pretty big, so I'm going to tell you to command it of your people. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, command those who are rich in this present world, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. See, to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says it again, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen to that. They can take hold of the life that is truly life. God comes through Paul and Timothy and he says, listen, you want to have life and you want to have it abundantly? I got something for this life and I have something for eternity. Be rich towards God and everything else will fall into place. Seek God's kingdom first and all these things will be added unto you. Listen, there is life and it is coming abundantly and I have a treasure laid up for you if you honor me in this life with your money. That's why God said, I have a solution for all of this and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus is teaching about this. And then after he tells this parable, he goes in, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you eat. I take care of the birds. Aren't I going to take care of you? And he said, but this is how you combat greed in your life. He says, starting in verse 33 of chapter 12, he says, sell your possessions. Give those in need. This is going to store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old. They never develop any holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. And wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He says, listen up, everybody, beware. Don't be greedy. But a life of generosity is all from God. And it's for others. And it's for me. And so as we share this with you, what does it mean for you? How do you set a foundation that you would reset your life around God's principles for you and your money? Well, first, you've got to decide what you own. Is it yours or is it his? And if you can't decide that, you're going to have trouble in life. And so David in 1 Chronicles gives us a picture of what we're supposed to do. Do you own it or does God own it? Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything. Say that word with me, everything. Everything. Say it like you mean it. Everything. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. God says, everything in the heavens and the earth is mine. You get to steward it. Some of you have been blessed way beyond measure. Every one of us in this room, guess what? We're rich. We are rich. How awesome is that? You might not feel it, but you are. We live in the land of gracious living, many of us. We're rich. And God says, hey, rich people, beware. Trouble's coming if you don't live by my principles. So how do you do that? Well, here's what Hebrews 10 tells me to do for you today. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I am so excited for you. You guys aren't as excited as I am right now, but I am as excited as I can be for you because I just want to tell you, if you could figure out this money thing, some of you would be free because right now it's consuming you and it's killing you and it's stressing you out. And I don't care how much you have. I don't care how little you have. You have to make a decision. Are you going to do it God's way or your way? One of the great things that I decided early on was that I was going to live for God. And I was going to honor him with my money. I wasn't real smart when I left for college. I left for college, didn't have too many conversations in our family about money, but I got to college and these credit card companies started sending me letters and they acted like I was really important. And guess what? Before I knew it, I had a couple credit cards. It was awesome. And I would go to the store and I would buy something and it cost me nothing. And then I got a bill and I was like, oh, I got to pay that. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when you marry someone, you inherit or they inherit you. My wife inherited some debt because I didn't understand credit. And I got myself in trouble. And guess what? It wasn't until my wife paid off my debts that we set a foundation and went, 
We're going to honor God with everything that we have. And we're going to start by doing it his way. Your choice today, there's three things. First one is, what should I do is the question. Not what do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? No, what should I do? First one is trust God's way over your way. Trust God's way over your way. Students, young adults that are in the room, I want to talk to you right now. If you are single and if you are young and if you're just starting out, you need to settle this while you have nothing and no one. Then when you have someone and something, you'll know what to do. Because if you don't settle it now, when you add someone else in your life and it's not settled, trouble's coming. And you might be the one bringing trouble into your marriage financially. Settle it now. Trust God's way over your way. Get yourself in line with his principles. So what does that mean? Well, to reset your life in 2020, here's how Larry Burkett says about your heart. He says, giving should be an outward material expression of a deep spiritual commitment. It's an indication of a willing and obedient heart. What it says is, God, I'm trusting you, not with the things <laughs> that I'm willing to give over, with the things that I, I really want to hang on like the monkey. I, I, I got a grip and I can't let it go. But God, I'm going to trust your way over my way. So let me ask you a question. What is your giving right now? You just took an assessment of where you are with God. What is your giving saying about your trust in God? What is your giving saying about your trust in God? Madi and I just had to make an adjustment to our giving. Uh, we decided, the Old Testament talks about um, giving 10%. So as our family, we've given 10% forever. My 30 years here, we've given at least 10%. That's our starting point. I used to love it when I was early in ministry. People would come to me and say, is that on the gross or the net? <laughs> like, hey, man, you want to negotiate with God? Have fun. <clears throat> New Testament says be generous. So I don't know. What do you think it is? There's a starting point. Old Testament talks about tithing. New Testament just talks about generosity. We start at 10%. We live on 90% and we give at least 10% away. We give away more than that. But we had to adjust. Because she came to me and she said, with your salary, we got increase on our salary this year and Madi started to work. We said, we're, we're not giving enough to God. And so this week I had to sign a bunch of papers to, to get my, my giving that just comes out of, uh, of my check. I had to get right with God. Here's what I understand. I, I don't want to live on 100%. You know why? Because he tells me not to. It's countercultural. And yet we think 100% is better than living on 90%. No, it's not. Let me trust you. We have not gone without ever. I am so rich. And I have nothing to do with my salary. I have nothing to do with money that comes into this church. All we have done is tried to be faithful to God first and say, God, we're going to trust your way over my way. I started and I made $16,000 here. This was my first job at Friends. I started with $16,000. I thought I was rich. And we started giving 10% off $16,000. And guess what? Still here. And I got clothes and I got food and I got a house and I got more cars and insurance and bills than I've ever, ever thought I would. I don't get any money anyway. You guys know, I have a, a, a I get a little, uh, what's it called? Allowance, I do. Every two weeks I get 100 bucks and I'm not even kidding. I can go get some gas and some other things, but I got 100 bucks. The rest of my check goes to my kids, my mortgage, our family, my wife, I don't make any money anyway. So I decided it's not mine. It's all God's and it's my family's. Love my hundred bucks. 
Are you going to trust God? And here's the deal. The reason I love talking about this right now, we are in the best financial position as a church we have ever been in in the 107 years of this church. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Okay? And here's what I want you to know. If, if this is troublesome for you, it's not for me because I love it. Um, because it has nothing to do with your money. It has to do with your heart. And if there's a better place that's doing greater kingdom things and you want to give there because that's where God's led you, great. I'm inviting you into a relationship with God. And part of your discipleship is to understand that until you let go, God's never going to be able to do all he wants to do in your life. And you got to decide, am I going to trust his way or my way? Second thing is this. Oh, I got to go back because I got to tell you, some of you might need to, to, to figure that out. Sorry, I started talking about other things. Um, some of you want to give. Here's what I want to encourage you. Maybe you're already giving. Would you go up 1% for whatever you're giving right now? If you're at zero, can't jump to 10%, just go to 1%. If you're two, go to three. If you're at 10, go to 11. See what God does. If you want to make it easier because you do everything online, we're going to have a little number up there and you just text Friends Church and they'll set up automatic giving for you and you can take care of it that way. So you can check that out. But we'd love for you to start somewhere if you're going to be a part of what's going on here. Second thing is this. Learn to be content. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Timothy says, you brought nothing into the world, you're going to take nothing out. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Hey, I just want to tell you, if you're, if you're married and you never talk about money, you probably should. If one of you does the bills like my wife, I'm invited into the conversation on how much we give. Some of you are just assuming that your partner's giving and being faithful to God and they're probably not doing maybe hardly anything. You need to talk about it. The one thing when people get divorced, they talk about most is kids and money. And then we never talk about money many times when we're married. It doesn't make any sense. God's given you guys, if you're one, it is part of your stewardship as a family. But that comes with contentment. You brought nothing in. And when you are content, God says, I get to do even more in and through your life. And so learn to be content. You know why Madi said, oh, when I wrote her the text? She's content with her 55-inch TV. She doesn't need any more. She's content with many other things. And so she's the one that gets to go, let's just be content, Matthew. Learn. It's a process and it's an opportunity. Last thing, live with a sense of urgency to change eternity. Jesus comes and he says, hey, beware. You're getting your eyes focused on this. I want you to focus on eternity because you have a treasure and the purses never get any holes and it is an investment and you're not going to see it now, but you're going to see it one day and God wants to use you as a steward for him. See, he uses people to change the world and he's blessed us to be rich. And so we get to change eternity. So we are adjusting our giving here at this church. I just went away with our team. Um, last week, I was gone all week with uh, our denominational team and then our staff team and our elders. And we were just praying and looking at a picture of what God wanted us to be in the next 10 years. And we said, could you imagine if we continue to give more away than we've ever given so that God's kingdom might flourish? 
And we just began to think and dream of what that might look like. And you guys are unbelievably amazing. We give away a lot of things. We help a lot of churches and a lot of missionaries and a lot of people. But we want to help more. And so we've decided over the next 10 years, the first thing is we have very little debt here. On all this property and all these buildings, we have under 4% of our budget goes to debt. But we're going to do our best to pay off our debt in the next three to five years, which we can do uh, within our general budget. But on top of that, um, we are going to live on less so we can give away more. And so every year, we're going to go down a percent on what we live on here. And we're going to tithe away 10% of all of our income to give it away. And when God gives us opportunity, we're going to go and invest around the corner and around the world. And we just believe that we are going to live with eternity in mind. We got a great church and a great opportunity and we are in a great financial position. And I don't think God put us there to just hoard it and to hang on. I tell our people all the time, we're a nonprofit organization, which means this. We're supposed to come in at the end of the year at zero. That means we get to give a lot away. We save for a rainy day. We get to give. And I don't want to get to heaven. Jesus look at me and say, man, you had all the resources in the world, you fool. You could have done so much more. I want him to go, wow, Friends Church changed the world. Their generosity was a marker for my kingdom. And when you gave, you gave because you were generous and your heart was focused on eternity and you wanted people to come to know Jesus. And I would say, that's what I want to be a part of. And we have opportunity to do more than you could ever imagine because we have more than most. God's not after your money, but he's after your heart. And this is one of the greatest ways he will use to shape it. Don't be like the monkey. Don't keep clinging and grabbing and holding on. Because there's people that need us to be generous because God has blessed us. So what should I do? What should we do? Trust God's way over your way. Learn to be content and live with a sense of urgency to change eternity. Would you stand with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your word that is powerful. Thank you for your word that's convicting. Thank you, God, that um, you own it all. It's already yours. So may we steward it well. May in this place, God, um, you be honored by how we handle your finances. And so, God, what we ask of our, our people, uh, I pray that you will help us do uh, the very same thing in this place and through this place. You have blessed us. It's evident. We look around, God, we're we are just grateful. And so thank you that we get to go around the corner and around the world. Thank you that we're a part of a denomination that, that, that as this large church, we get to resource and help 40 other churches grow and come to know what it's like to be a church that doesn't live in scarcity. We get to help them with their visions, God, and we get to see you do amazing things. So thank you for what you're doing. We don't take that for granted. And I thank you for the people that, God, are sold out to you. And I pray that we continue to surrender their selves and their hearts to you 
And that, Father, when you look down, you would be pleased because you would understand our heart and our treasure have a focus that's eternal. So as we leave this place today, God, I, I pray that we would take a step towards you. And I pray that you, God, would once again show yourself to us that we might draw closer to you. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.